Welcome to the FPC Thomasville podcast. We believe human life has a designer, so learning to live by design will help you thrive within all your spheres of influence. Today, Reverend Skylar Adams will share a message about the courage to stand as part of our Courage Sermon Series. The scripture passage for today is Ezra 7, 1-28, which will help us answer the question, what does it take to find courage in times of comfort? Now for the next uh, three weeks, we're going to be looking at um, specifically some Old Testament characters and how it is that they uh, stewarded their role and the responsibilities that they were given by God to be faithful to him and to the people they're given. You heard from Nathan that our, our theme this year is courage. And uh, this week we're going to be looking at the courage to stand. And you might be like, what does courage have to do with, with stewardship? And perhaps you've already connected some dots. But, but courage fundamentally allows us, enables us, leads us to order our priorities, to, to put first things first, as Tim put it in the Pulse this week. It allows us to get away from our egos, our personal ambition, to see something bigger, to pursue something alongside others for the common good. This is the role of courage in the life of the believer. Paul would go on to talk about courage as the only way that the gospel would be advanced to the ancient world, the world that that we now live in. So our theme is courage. We're going to be reflecting upon his goodness in our past and by it, seeking to order and prioritize our lives into the future as we think about the things that make this church, this community of faith thrive. So that's what we're about this time of year. That's where we're headed. And this is where we are this morning, the courage to stand. So this morning, we're going to be in Ezra chapter 7, I invite you to turn there, and, and as you do, I want to try to get you oriented uh, to, this, to this passage. So Ezra chapter 7, we'll be looking at Ezra's life here in just a moment. I thought it'd be fun to, to start a message with a quote from Elon Musk. That'll be controversial. Uh, he said this, he, he wrote a little memo to his employees once, and he said, um, he told them to walk out of a meeting... If you aren't adding value, drop the call if you're not adding value. He said, it's more rude to stay there and waste their time than to leave. Do you know when to leave? Man, I see this all over and over again with, uh, with, with some athletes with their uh, you know, inflated egos. Um, man, I love Michael Jordan. I do. But that guy did not know when to leave. I mean, he started playing baseball, and then he came back, and uh, he just he didn't know when to leave, right? It's just like he, he, he was doing really well. It's so hard to end on the top, you know? You just feel like there's something more. Maybe Tom Brady will fool us all and actually quit before he wins, you know, 15 championships um, and, and avoid that. But knowing when to leave. Let me ask you this as we get closer to our text. Have you, have you ever resigned from a job, you knew it was time to go. It wasn't on bad terms. Um, do you remember that? I've done that. This morning, we're going to look at the story of a man who knew when to leave. Ezra chapter 7. 
This is a long one, so I'm going to stop kind of throughout just to, just to add a little color to it because we won't have time to, to digest it, you know, all of it. Um, so just follow along with me, and we'll make a point together. Hopefully add some illustration to it, and, and we'll walk away um, believing more and more um, something really powerful um, in our life. So Ezra chapter 7, let me pray for us. God, thank you for your word. It's indeed the light and lamp. It's, it's the way that we understand all of reality. And we pray that this morning that, that you would bring it deeper and deeper and deeper into our hearts so that we would be people known by it um, that want to give it away. Would you do that? Would you bless us with it and through it and by it this morning? Amen. All right, chapter 7. Now after this... All right, I'm already going to stop. You're going to be like, man, this is going to take a while. (laughs) Sixty years had passed before this passage began. The second temple, remember Jerusalem's temple was was sieged by the Babylonians, and it was 586. And about uh, this is 60 years after the second temple has been rebuilt in Jerusalem. We have the events of chapter 7. So after this... In the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, the son of, you ready? Sariah, Azariah, Hilkiah, Shalom, Zadok, Ahitub, son of Amariah, Azariah, Meroth, Zerahiah, Uzi, Buki, Abishua, Phinehas, Eleazar, Aaron, the chief priest. This Ezra went up from Babylonia. Quickly here, ancient people understood, appreciated, listened to people according to their, their heritage, their history, their genealogies. You and you know, us Western readers, we sort of get to this and we actually want to just steamroll right past it. But I just wanted to make this point really quick that, that this was the very um, uh, credible witness to Ezra's priesthood, to these refugees that have now gone back home. That guy is coming to us. Okay. They didn't, they didn't ordain themselves, right? Neither do, neither do we. But um, the way that you were a priest was, was to absolutely be part of that line, the line of Aaron. And he wants us to see, especially as the original hearers would have required him to be a true priest of Israel. And therefore, we're told that he is. So he arrives with the fanfare of an, of, of, of a, an exceptional pedigree in the line of Aaron. Remember Moses' brother. This Ezra went up from Babylonia. He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. And the king granted him all that he asked, for the hand of the Lord his God was on him. And there went up also to Jerusalem in, seven, in the seventh year of Artaxerxes the king, some of the people of Israel, and some of the priests and Levites, the singers and gatekeepers, the temple servants, the whole worship crew. And Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. From the first day of the first month, he began to go up from Babylonia, and on the first day of the fifth month, he finally got there. For the good hand of his God was on him. Verse 10. Highlight it, tattoo it on your body, do something with it. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord, to do it and to teach it 
his statutes and rules in Israel. This is a copy of the letter that King Artaxerxes gave to Ezra the priest, the scribe, a man learned in matters of the commandments of the Lord and his statutes for Israel. So now we're going to read this personal letter from the king himself. Artaxerxes, king of kings, to Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of God of heaven, peace. And now I make a decree that any one of the people of Israel or their priests or Levites in my kingdom who freely offers to go to Jerusalem may go with you. For you are sent by the king and his seven counselors to make inquiries about Judah and Jerusalem according to the law of your God, which is in your hand. And also to carry the silver and gold that the king and his counselors have freely offered to the God of Israel, whose dwelling is in Jerusalem, with all the silver and the gold that you shall find in the whole province of Babylonia. What are your ears hearing? Silver, gold. I hear Jerusalem a lot. Verse 17. With this money, then, you shall go with all diligence, buy bulls, rams, and lambs, and their grain offerings, and their drink offerings, and you shall offer them on the altar of the house of your God that is in Jerusalem. Whatever seems good to you and your brothers to do with the rest of the silver and gold, that's generous, you may do according to the will of your God. The vessels that you have been given you for the service of the house of your God, you shall deliver before the God of Jerusalem. And whatever else is required for the house of your God, which it falls to you to provide, you may provide it out of the king's treasury. And I, Artaxerxes, well, I'll stop right there. The king's MX black card. The, the, the ruler of the world has said, whatever you want, so that you can worship whose God? Your God. And I, Artaxerxes the king, make a decree to all the treasurers in the province beyond the river. Whatever Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of, the, of God of heaven, requires of you, let it be done <laughs> with all diligence up to 100 talents of silver, 100 cores of wheat, 100 baths of wine, 100 baths of oil and salt, without prescribing how much. Whatever is decreed by the God of heaven, let it be done in full for the house of him, lest his wrath be against the realm of the king and his sons. So we're given a reason why Artaxerxes is interested in this. We also notify you that it shall not be lawful to impose tribute, custom, or toll on any one of the priests, the Levites, the singers, doorkeepers, the temple servants, or other servants of this house of God. They were to operate tax-free. And you, Ezra, according to the wisdom of your God that is in your hand, appoint magistrates and judges who may judge all the people in the province beyond the river, all such as know the laws of your God, and those who do not know them you shall teach. Ancient readers would have heard something very unique here. Do you know? Who else said something similar to someone who came before Ezra? Moses. Remember his father-in-law said, Moses, you're not wise enough to do it all. Go gather people around you. Appoint them magistrates to implement the law of God. When he's, going, when he's going back to these exiled people who've returned to Jerusalem and they hear this letter from a pagan king, their ears start to 
tickle or whatever ears do when they hear something they recognize. Whoever will not obey the law of your God and the law of the king, let judgment be strictly executed on him, whether for death or for banishment or for confiscation of his goods or for imprisonment. Our last couple of verses. Blessed be the Lord, that's his personal name, the God of our fathers, who put such a thing as this into the heart of the king. To beautify the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem and who extended to me his steadfast love before the king and his counselors and before all the king's mighty officers. I took courage. For the hand of the Lord, my God, was on me. And I gathered leading men from Israel to go up with me. May the Lord bless us this morning through his word. Agree or disagree? Comfort can sometimes lead us to a place of complacency. When life becomes routine, easy, comfortable, for me at least, it, 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 it tends to represent a season where I really have to work hard not to be complacent. Right. I was talking to someone who lost almost everything as a result of the stock market crash in 2009. And whereas I, I kind of wanted to express self-pity to this person, they're like, no, 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 no. I was making this amount of money, I had this sort of thing, and uh, it was only because of that that I learned to actually believe what I say I believe. That's not, a, that's not a normative experience necessarily, but I do think there's a correlation between when we find comfort in life, that we tend to become complacent. Think of innumerable examples of this, whether it's anyone of fame, anyone of, of great uh, prestige or ability. Um, there's something that gets lost, a zest, a vigor, a... Um, that when things are going well, you sort of sort of lack that that hunger, right? I was watching an interview with a famous comedy stand-up comedy guy, Sebastian Manikowski, Manikowski, there we go, Sicilian American, and he he made it famous. He is really famous. And his dad met him one day after he had just been cast for a movie that's about to be released. Um, and he was like, I love you, son. I'm proud of you. But stay hungry. Don't, don't let off the gas. I don't, I don't know their, their religious experience or faith at all, but we know this, right? When we're in seasons of comfort, it can be hard to take courage. So that's where our question is today, where do we find courage in times of comfort, times of ease, times of routine, times of, yeah, life's just good, it's fine. And here's our answer, here's our main point, here's, here's the thing that I will be saying ten times. We find comfort, excuse me, we find courage in times of comfort through and in and around the Word of God. The Word of God. 
Where is courage to be found when life is normal and fine and okie-dokie? The Word of God. I get it. You saw it. I underscored it when we landed there, 710. Truly a memorizable verse that you should just digest. For Ezra had set his heart to the study of the law of the Lord, to do it, to teach it to Israel. And we're like, well, Skylar, where's the courage in that? Like, I'm not connecting that dot. Let me try to let you see what what his life was like. We saw earlier in verse 6 that he was a scribe. Ezra was effectively a, a, a royal private secretary. You know, Nehemiah, the, the one who came after him to build the walls, he was the cupbearer. Esther, you know, all these figures. Uh, Ezra was a scribe. So he, he wasn't, you know, sort of, um, he didn't have the power of the king uh, to make decisions and execute decrees. But by his proximity to the king himself, he had tremendous power. And with that comfort, you know, we often think of exilic living as, um, bad and unfortunate, and it, and it surely was for some. But there were a number of Jewish people, Hebrew people, Israelites living under Artaxerxes' rule nicely. He had a very comfortable life. He, he, he was on speaking terms with the king of the known world. So much so he gets a personal letter written to him. To send him out. So he was, he was a private secretary. He was an ambassador. He was, he was like a diplomat. We see that um, he was sent. Verse 14. You, I'm going to send you with, with other counselors. He works in the court of this man who, who, who rules supremely across the known world. He enjoys a nice life. But something happened where he wanted to ask him if he could resign. He devoted himself to the law of the Lord, to do it, to teach it. Something something happened in Ezra that, that, that brought about this courage that we see. We, you know, when you, when you read biblical travel plans, you get kind of confused. It's like the fifth, the fourth. Don't you glad we name our months? Um, fifth, fourth, uh, uh, here we go. So roughly April to August, close to 900 miles, he gets to Jerusalem. This was a city kid who just like traveled 900 miles. You know, have you ever, you don't watch Curious George. I watch Curious George. Um, Curious George is a city kid. Right, And when he goes out and plays, they're always like, man, I was a city kid, how to do this? Because he's a monkey. Um, but it's really cute. And that's the first thing I thought of. Like, here's this man, he's not, he's not a, a you know, high-ranking you know, soldier. He's a scribe. He's like me. He's got, you know, you shake my hand and it's soft. It's not calloused. And he travels 900 miles. Where does this man's courage come from? Don't you want it? Four months, 900 miles, with a letter from the king himself. He devoted himself to the study of the law, to teaching it, to doing it. He consumed it and began to do something to him. 
His heart had made a connection. The, the words, or the stories that he knew, the, the, the scrolls that he was privy to having, they, 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 they weren't just words anymore. They actually, they, they, they went somewhere in and something began to come out. You see, there's, there's a cultural clarification to make here. Um, oftentimes, courage uh, in the eyes of those outside of Christ is, is really courage in the vein of self-actualization. It's really courage uh, towards self-realization, right? Especially among my generation and the one behind me. Um, I remember I asked my, my, I don't remember their mom or dad, but I remember I asked one of them, I said, why did you, how, how did you decide to do that? You know, how, what made you want to do that for that long? I'm like, well, what kind of question is that? You know, like, I got to work. You know, this is what I do. You know, and, and my, little, my, my snowflake millennial self is like, you got to do what you love, man. <laughs> and uh, there, there's truth on both ends, right? There's truth on both ends. We're called to work. Called, every, every facet of work is to bring flourishing. So um, as we do it, it, it's intended to bring us joy in life. And certainly they experience joy in their work. But there, there's been a generational shift. And so courage is actualizing that thing in you. That's what it is. But we see biblical courage is quite different. There was nothing in Ezra that was making him, you know, be a city kid across the desert. It was something outside of him, something external. It was the word of God. He made a connection. Oh, one of my heroes is Abe Lincoln, and perhaps because... I feel like I'm an Eeyore sometimes. I think he was an Eeyore. Just sort of a melancholy kind of person. He actually suffered from tremendous and chronic depression. He witnessed four family members die. Um, just a tumultuous marriage. Um, he, he led the country in, in its greatest um, moment of need ever. Lord willing, ever will be. And uh, he, he just, it's like, where did he get this courage, you know? Where did he get it? And I, I've read a few of the biographies, and, um, you know, he's, he's sort of, he's not, like you hear words like scripture, and you hear God. Um, but you, don't, you don't quite know, but there's definitely something about him that's other-centered. That's like, I know that I'm not worthy of this, right? And, and oftentimes, that's the grace of God, often. It doesn't mean, you know, I'm not trying to make a connection that shouldn't be there. But I remember one quote was like, I have nowhere to go but my knees. Man. Ezra was a man who, despite the wonderful life he had, okay, it wasn't wonderful, it was fine. I don't want to make it, you know, plush. But it was good comparatively, the words of his God had penetrated somewhere to such a degree that he was ready to do something that no one saw coming, but that God used for the sake of his mission in the world. And see, where does this come to you and me? See, I think we're afraid to like do something like Ezra, devote ourselves to, to, to the word, because there's this lie that creeps in that says if we submit to it, we're not going to be happy anymore. That like we're gonna lose out on life. Like we're not gonna be able to get ice cream anymore if we keep reading the Bible. Like we, there's this lie, and this is the same lie that that evil serpent told Adam and Eve. 
Total devotion to God, your maker, your redeemer, will bring you more freedom in life than you can ever imagine. Ask your neighbor. But that lie always creeps in our head, especially, you know, at whenever, whatever time you would ordinarily seek to, you know, appreciate the word of God. So the luster for many of us has, has faded because we've lost sight. We've lost sight that, that, that this is not just a book to be read, but it's, it's something so much more. Another hero of mine says, this is a book to be experienced, savored, dallied over. Don't you love that? If we're always trying to study something, we're going to miss it. So I just want to end with, I want to, I want to make one point of application here. To become a person of courage, rooted in the word of God, is to have something big change in the way you, you, you encounter this book. And that's to move from reading to hearing. Reading to hearing. Reading to hearing. Remember that. Reading to hearing. God spoke life. He speaks to us through this. You know, we, us Westerners, we've, we've gone through an educational system. We, we suffer uh, the good and bad of the Gutenberg press. So we have words to read, but we forget that the, this entire tradition was, was an oral one. It was one where people heard. That's why I was trying to stop you to see if you heard what I was trying to get you to hear. How can you begin to hear God actually be speaking? He's not just writing something to you. He's actually speaking. I remember I just uh, re-watched um, You've Got Mail with Dory. Man, that's a good one. Um, where did those go, you know? Romantic comedies have just fallen off the face of the earth. Um, man, so you've got Kathleen and you've got uh, Joe, and they're like, you know, <laughs> AOL messaging one another. And did you, if you've not seen it, I'll tell you, when they're writing, you can hear them talking, right? Oh, that's a good point you make. You know, I really miss you. Can we meet? Um, you hear their voice talking. The, God is talking. He, he, he spoke right here. So as you read it, say it out loud for once or, or hear yourself say it. Because it's God who spoke. He's not, you know, sometimes there is time that we should spend time studying and seeking to understand all these different cultural nuances which help us to appreciate what it means. But for goodness sake, understand that the word of God is something that was spoken to you. That it created a people because it was words. And words are action. They're not just sitting on a page, printed on a piece of paper. We have a message. We have a story. And this is what buoys us courage. So don't do the American thing of settling for just some con, you know, consumptive bit. You know, like, what can I find to you know, just stuff in my pocket today? Instead, see... This is the words that God has given to us. And if you're overwhelmed by that, just you know, take the Dave Ramsey approach. I don't love everything he does, but one thing I think he does do right um, is, is, is a snowball effect. You've got you to take little bites. Right? Don't, don't overwhelm yourself. Like This is huge, right? Like What is just an easy win that you can sustainably do and, and receive and hear? Uh, maybe it's listening for once. Would you, I mean, would you want to play this while you drove? Or uh, perhaps you just talk to someone about it. And what's a little small way that's not the whole elephant, that's just a bite uh, for you to receive the spoken word of God, the message of God? Easy wins. 
Listen to it. Courageous lives are about the steady, small moments. Not the big flashy ones. We're told of the significant one that Ezra led. But chances are the life that you and I will one day leave, if it's to be marked by courage, you won't actually know it. But someone after you will. My colleague died this week. And as tribute to him, I wanted, if you didn't know, he wrote a 100-page commentary on the book of Revelation. His last words to me and a few others that I experienced from him was from Psalm 115. Our God is in the heavens, and he does what he wants. I want to say something like that. Small, steady moments. The word in you actually does something to you. Ezra ends the passage by worshiping God because somehow he wasn't evangelizing the king, but something happened. He witnessed something in Ezra and was like, I don't know why I'm saying yes, but yes, do that. I'll pay for it all. Just don't let him kill me too. Because it's a message and not a stale piece of paper. As we, as we consume it, it actually begins to change our life. I don't necessarily think of myself as courageous. In fact, man, if I see a wall that's really tall, I'm trying to find another way around. But consider the courageous one who devoted himself to the word. Remember him? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. But was rejected as a heretic. He was murdered by the conservative Bible-believing people he came to save. This is your hope. It says, take courage. This is a passive reflexive verb. Ezra is saying, I have been given courage. This morning, I invite you to receive the courage that God has for you as you hear his word this morning. Artaxerxes found God to be useful. Ezra found him to be beautiful. And may we all be found as those two. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your word. I'm preaching to myself. As I say these things, I just pray that, that we wouldn't be overwhelmed with the task, but we would find that our very life is given rhythm, breath, and blood through the words, the, the, the very message of your scripture. If we're going to be a distinctive community, Lord, you've told us that we must be about this thing, your message and your word. So will you? Work in and through it to change us, to actually, not because we want to be courage, but because we want to follow the one who was courageous for our sakes. This is our prayer. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.